at the, the last stages of life, they had just put her in hospice care. And they, they described her to me and they said um, she was hardened and crusty and she had always been resistant to faith and she had never wanted to come to church and she didn't want to hear about Jesus and she was just kind of angry, you know, toward God and all that kind of stuff. And so her family was saying like they'd invited her to church, they talked to her about Jesus all her life and she had always been resistant. But here, kind of, at, you know, toward the end of her life, they had asked her to talk with a pastor as she was put in hospice and everything and pleaded with her and she had finally agreed. And they said to me, and Pastor Brian, we chose you to come talk to her. <laughs> Thank you so much. That just sounds awesome. And the truth is I was scared to death to go talk to this lady. I mean, absolutely terrified. I was, I was fully expecting her to be kind of like mean and, you know, hardened and just kind of angry and everything. And, and so uh, I asked my beautiful wife, Carrie, who is actually um, with me today with a couple of our boys. And uh, I said, would you just pray for me? I remember saying, would you pray for me before I talk uh, to this old lady? Actually, uh, Carrie still prays for me um, before I have to talk with any old lady that I'm afraid of. That still happens. There are lots of old ladies I'm afraid of, actually. <laughs> so um, she pr I remember she prayed with me, and I get in the car, and I'm driving over to this hospice care place, and I'm in my head, like, I'm going through this speech, and I've got this long speech prepared, because I'm thinking to myself, if I can just sort of get some momentum going with this long speech and just kind of get into it, maybe then it'll just sort of overwhelm her or something. I don't know what I thought. So I'm rehearsing this big, long speech about the gospel and Jesus and everything as I'm driving over there, get in the parking lot, and my hands are literally shaking, like, oh, man, I'm just nervous. Like, what's this lady going to say to me? So I go in. And I remember, you know, going into her room, and there she is in her hospital bed, and I greet her, and, I, you know, I, I pull up a chair and sit down next to her hospital bed, and I begin to just launch into this long speech. And I'm thinking, I just got to keep talking, keep talking. And so I'm talking, and, and a few minutes into this long speech, she interrupts me, and she says, uh, look, I'm ready to accept Jesus and be forgiven of my sins. Will you tell me how to do that before I die? It's <laughs> literally what she said. <laughs> I was, I was shocked. I, I could not believe that's what she said. And so I did. I sort of threw out the, the speech and I, we just talked about Jesus and she, and she prayed and asked Jesus to, to be the Lord of her life. And I don't know what happened there. I don't know if it was the prayer Carrie prayed for me or if it was the years of her family speaking to her and inviting her and talking to her about the difference that Jesus had made in their lives. But for whatever reason, when I walked into that hospice room that day, the soil was ready. You know what I mean? She was ready to hear about that, and she wanted to hear about that. Uh, last week was baptism service at all three churches, and it was such a joy, just Alicia, just to watch you baptize um, two uh, kids here. And just what, a, what an incredible thing um, that God's doing. And, and, you know, at all three churches, we had people who got baptized. And for some people, it's like they invited a friend or a loved one, and they came, maybe they came even at the Christmas services and walked through the door that we had and made Jesus Lord of their life. And then they came and got baptized uh, in one of our services last weekend. And it was such an incredible celebration. There were also people at all three of the churches last weekend who invited a loved one and they never showed up. Or maybe they showed up, but they were there and then they just kind of walked out the door unchanged and nothing was different in their life. Have you ever wondered why it is that the gospel message clicks for some people but not for others? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever, I don't know, just looked at our world look at our life and go, man, why is it that some people, it's like they hear the gospel message one time and boom, it's like, it just connects. 
and why for other people, it's like they hear it again and again and again and again. And for some reason, it doesn't connect. Or maybe it connects later in life. Have you ever wondered why it clicked for you at a certain point in life? I mean, maybe even if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up in church and all you can remember all your life was going to church and hearing the gospel message. But at some point in life, it clicked for you. Or maybe if you're here and, and it hasn't clicked for you, maybe you're coming to church and you're going, man, I, I love this church. I love the people who are here. But I, I'm not sure if I understand who this Jesus is and, and why he makes such a difference in people's lives. Why in the world does it click for some people and it doesn't click for other people? That's exactly what Jesus addresses in Mark chapter 4. If you've been following along, just to kind of recap, Jesus, his, his ministry is just growing, growing, growing in this area of Galilee. And now people are coming from all over the area, all over the region. And so in the last chapter we just looked at that John talked about last week, Jesus calls 12 disciples and he calls them apostles. And so now for the first time he has these 12 guys and he gives them authority to go out and preach the word of God. And he gives them authority to heal and to, to preach the gospel message in his name. And so these disciples are going out and they're, and they're going out and they're knocking on doors and they're talking to people about the message of Jesus. And some people are like, yes, that's for me. I want that. And other people are like, get off my lawn, will you? Why are you knocking on my door? Get off my front porch. And so in Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins to teach a series of parables about his kingdom and about what his kingdom is like. And so we're going to uh, jump in. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. Um, starting in verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it did not have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. By the way, that was just insane numbers in Palestine at that time. There's no crop that would produce that much. Then he said, and this is how Jesus closes this parable, he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus begins by telling this parable about a farmer scattering seed. I've got some seed here with me. Um, and so in that day, what farmers would do is they would literally take like a handful of seeds. I won't do it because I don't want to have to vacuum the carpet uh, after this. But they would take it and they would just whip the seed and they would just scatter it and try to, to hit as much as they could the proper soil. So Jesus was in this agricultural area where most people were farmers. And so he's telling parables that would have connected with them about the world that they lived in. But he ends this parable by making this statement. I, I think it's, it's really important to understand this. He says, he who has ears to hear, listen, understand. What made Jesus so different is that most rabbis at this time, what they would do is they would make a point and then they would tell a story or a parable to illustrate that point, right? I mean, that's 
That's what we do a lot of times today with sermons or most teachers today. Make a point. Here's a story to kind of illustrate that. Jesus didn't do that. What Jesus was doing is Jesus would tell a story and he wouldn't explain his point at all. And so you were supposed to listen to the story and you were supposed to try to invest yourself to understand what the point of the story was. Now, the reason he's doing this, if you remember just a couple chapters before in Mark, is Jesus undergoes some significant criticism from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? This group of people begins to question him and question his disciples. And so what Jesus is doing is, is he's telling these stories and he's saying, anyone who has ears to hear should hear. In other words, you have to invest yourself a little bit. You have to want to understand a little bit of this message of what the kingdom is like. And so really, there's only a couple of Jesus' parables that he actually explains because he wants his followers, he expects them to be able to listen in and understand the point of the parable itself. And usually Jesus' parables had layers of truth that you could understand. But what's unfortunate about this parable, if you keep reading here in Mark, is uh, Jesus' 12 disciples who were there listening to this parable, they don't get it. And this is a theme you see again and again. His closest disciples are like, uh, what were you talking about out there at the farmer? Should we go get some seed? Is that what we're supposed to do? They don't understand. And so this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually sits down and explains. Verse 10. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? And then he begins to explain it. The farmer plants seed by taking the word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last very long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's words and his word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So Jesus explains to them, here's what this parable actually means. And so he's talking about why it clicks for some people and why it doesn't for others. Now, I just want to pull out two key principles that Jesus teaches here with this parable. And really, again, his parables have so many layers of truth. Uh, I could do an hour and 20 minute long sermon and pull out probably 10 other principles, but I'll spare you guys since it's Super Bowl Sunday. And we're going to look at two main principles. I, and I, I just want to say this to you. I really believe that these two principles are, are something that God wants us to hear this morning at center. Um, I, start, I started looking at this passage and preparing this passage weeks ago before I knew even that I was going to be here specifically on this Sunday. And... Uh, definitely before I knew just kind of the season we would be in as a church. So I believe this is for us today at Center. I, mean, I believe the Holy Spirit directed me to these two kind of ideas from this. So uh, the first key principle is this idea that there is power in the seed itself. There's power in the seed itself. When planted in, so in good soil, 
when the seed of the gospel message, and that's what the seed is in the story, it's the gospel message, put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus for salvation. Um, when that seed is planted in good soil, it has power all on its own to save a person, to bring redemption, to bring healing, to bring new life to a person. So the gospel message is sufficient to, to save a person when it takes root in a human heart. Jesus actually makes this point farther in Mark chapter 4. He tells a second parable. Again, it's a second parable about a farmer who goes out and he's scattering seed. And this is um, what he says in verse 27. Night and day while he, the farmer, sleep, is asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops all on its own. So it's this idea that we don't save anybody. We, it's not on us to fix other people. It's not on us to fix our brother, our sister, our, our grandmother, you know, whatever it is. The gospel message is what does the work. That's God's work. And planting, you know, basically planting the seed is what uh, God expects us to do. So the second principle of this is this idea that planting is my work. Planting is my work. The work that we do as the church is scattering seeds. We are scatterers of the seed. That is what we are. You can't control the soil. You can't control what a person, how a person hears the gospel message. All you and I have control of is whether or not we make the decision to keep scattering seed. That's what we have control of. Whether we plant or whether we don't. I was reflecting on this, this whole idea, and um, was thinking about, man, we love harvest, don't we? I mean, this Super Bowl today, at the end of it, it's going to be a harvest moment for whatever team wins, and I think it's going to be the Niners, by the way. Um, but uh, anyway, sidetrack, back on track. Uh, it's going to be a harvest moment. Those are celebration moments. We love harvest Baptism services where people get baptized after putting their faith and trust in Jesus. That's a harvest moment. The seed has been planted. It's, it's grown. It's bearing fruit. We love harvest. We create finish lines in our world and in our life just so we can celebrate harvest. Wouldn't it be great if you could just live in harvest all the time? Wouldn't that be awesome? If you could just kind of skip to harvest, all the, skip through the hard parts of life and just get to those moments uh, that we all love to celebrate and just enjoy. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not really how life is. And, and as I was reflecting on this, what really makes those harvest moments worth celebrating is all the hard work that went into those moments in obscurity where nobody saw the hard work, nobody saw the effort, nobody saw the planting, nobody saw the scattering of seed. It's, it, that's what makes those celebration moments of harvest worth it. It's the time in obscurity. It's the time when nobody sees the discouraging moments where you decided to keep going and keep scattering seed and keep believing that God was at work even when you didn't see it. You see this all the time in our world, right? What makes the finish line of a marathon a celebration, a harvest moment, is the 26.2 miles you just ran to get there, right? Like nobody celebrates the guy who pulls up in his car, gets out of his car and walks over to the finish line and goes, all right. Nobody celebrates that guy. That's not a harvest moment. 
In fact, uh, it was, John was telling, because John actually knows something about marathons, um, he was telling me that even in recent years since they've started tracking people with those bibs, that there have been multiple people in marathons who have been disqualified at the finish line because they cut the course, right? And they think they got away with it. They don't know it. And they get to the finish line. They're like, all right. And they find out the celebration, the harvest moment isn't what they were hoping for because they cut the course. They cheated. And they got found out. What makes harvest moments really incredible are what we did to get there. That's why we celebrate. As a parent, when you watch your child walk down the aisle at graduation, that's a harvest moment. But it's only a harvest moment because of the years you put in parenting, loving that child, helping them, disciplining them. When you watch your daughter walk down the aisle, or you walk next to your daughter down the aisle if you're a dad, at her, on her wedding day, the reason you cry, the reason it's such an emotional moment is not because there was something magical about that aisle. It's, it's all the years and the moments that led up to that moment of planting and, you know, just loving and investing in your daughter. That's why those moments are emotional. Anniversaries. We celebrate anniversaries. The, the more years are behind the anniversary, the more significant the anniversary, right? There's a reason why the five-year celebration of an anniversary is not as big as the 25-year. The more years behind it, the more effort in obscurity, the more moments that nobody else got to see leads up to the bigger celebration. Uh, Frontline Church, the church that I pastor, we just celebrated last Sunday was our 20-year anniversary as a church. And it was an incredible celebration. Um, it was a baptism service too, and we saw people that we haven't seen in years. And what a harvest moment. What a harvest moment uh, for us as a church to be able to, to look back over the last 20 years and see all that God's done and for me, it was an incredible day. It was an emotional day. It was, it was a day full of just celebrating and thanking God. But the reason it was such a powerful day, the reason 20 years is so powerful is because you can look at Frontline right now and think, oh, that's great. Good for you, 20 years. It must have been nice to have 20 wonderful years. But the truth of the matter is it wasn't 20 wonderful years. Uh, there were really dark, hard days at Frontline. And there were years in Frontline's existence, not even that long ago, even just in the, in the last few years, there were times where the church was actually going backwards, not forward. And people were exiting and, and attendance was going down and giving was going down and people were upset about different things or, or, or you know, or whatever. There was actually a period of time, and my wife can attest to this, where I would be, we would go out on walks together. That's our thing. We go on walks together. And I would say to her, I'm asking God to let me run away from this. I, I wish God would just let me go, but he won't. I, I just felt like I wasn't allowed to leave yet. But I was begging God, will you please let me just leave? Because things were so hard and things were, you just didn't see any fruit didn't see any harvest coming. And every day you're putting in the work, every day you're trying to do the right thing, you're praying, you're asking God, and every week it's like, it's not happening. There were years of that. And, and the harvest moments only have power, they only have meaning because of all the work that went into the hard times and obscurity. See, th this is the way faith really works. Go ahead to that next slide. The way faith really works, the way the journey actually happens is we plant, then we weed, then we water, then we wait, then we wait, then we wait, and we wait, and we wait, 
and sometimes we get a harvest. Do you realize in Jesus' parable about this farmer scattering seed, do you realize only 25% of the seed actually bears any fruit at all? In Jesus' own math, farmer goes out to scatter seed. This one falls on, you know, shallow soil. This one's eaten up by the birds. This one's just choked out by the plants. But hey, this small amount, 25% of the seed, one quarter of it actually does something. It actually produces a harvest. But the harvest is 30, 60, 100 times what was planted which is way more than anybody could ever imagine from any harvest. He says the gospel has this power when it takes root to do imaginably, you know, unimaginably more than we could ever ask or imagine. The gospel has this power to transform lives and transform communities and transform our world. But in Jesus' own math, it's 25%. There's, there's only this fraction of it that actually takes root and produces any fruit. And so we plant and we water and we weed and we wait and we wait and we wait. That's how the journey goes. And sometimes in the waiting, you get discouraged. Sometimes in the waiting, sometimes in the moments where you're putting in the effort, you wonder, am I ever going to see a harvest moment? Am I ever? And, and if, if you can't see that, you begin to question and doubt and say, man, what am I doing this for? Why am I working so hard? Am I only talking to myself this morning? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt this way? Whether it was for a loved one and you were praying for them to come to Christ, whether it was for a ministry you were investing yourself in, whether it was for something that you were doing, maybe to, to build your family, to have a, a better life, a better family than the one that you came from, and you just go, man, is this even, is this even worth it? And Jesus wants us to understand it's worth it. It's worth it to put our faith and our trust in him. It's worth it to continue to keep scattering seed. Here's how this applies to us. Go ahead to that next screen. We don't measure ourselves based on harvest. Your best seasons, no one will ever see. The idea here of this parable is, is like, look, you don't control the soil. <laughs> you and I don't control the soil. We don't measure ourselves based on harvest. Your best seasons no, uh, no one will ever see. You can't measure a church based on harvest. Harvest moments are great. We all love them. You can't measure a church based on harvest. Center church, your best moments as a church no one will ever see. You can't measure uh, a parent based on harvest. You look at their kid and go, is this kid making good decisions? Is this kid making bad decisions? You can't measure a parent based on harvest. Your best my best seasons as a parent, no one will ever know about. The hardest things I've had to do as a parent, nobody ever gets to see that. You can't judge a child based on harvest. They're your children's best seasons, most people will never see. You may not ever get to see it even as a parent. You can't measure a relationship with a lost friend or a lost loved one you can't measure that based on harvest, whether they turn or not. All we're measured on is whether we keep scattering seeds. This is how our Heavenly Father sees it. This is how Jesus is trying to get us to understand how God looks at us. He doesn't measure us by harvest. He measures us by whether we continue to keep scattering seed. That's our job. Are you being a scatterer of seed or not? That's how our Heavenly Father looks at us. That's how he invites us to see ourselves. 
your best seasons, no one will ever see. And so God invites us, keep scattering seed. Uh, my wife and I have four boys. And uh, our first, our oldest two boys, I remember when they were, sometime in the first couple years of their life, they called me dad. And to be very honest with you, I don't remember when those moments were. I can't remember when Alan or Andrew called me dad. I know what happened. There was some moment where that took place. I couldn't tell you when it was. And honestly, I probably took it for granted. And our third son, Aaron, uh, at two years old, it became very clear that he was not doing the things that other two-year-olds were doing. Developmentally, he was struggling. At four and a half years old, he still wasn't talking and we were beginning to understand what the world of autism was like and what that world meant. And so uh, I remember the exact moment that Aaron called me dad. In fact, he, he's here today, and I'm so proud of, of you, buddy. I'm so proud of the person that you are and all that God's done in your life. But I can remember exactly when that kid called me dad. I can remember everything about that moment. I can remember where I was, what I was doing. I'd just come home. It was dinner time. I walked in the house, and I walked into the room where he was, and he was kind of on the ground playing with stuff. He always had these red objects that he was organizing, and I'll never forget. I walked in the room. I said, hey, buddy, and uh, he looked up, and these, I could still see those bright blue eyes locked in with mine, and that was unusual that he made eye contact with me, and, he, and out of the blue, he just said, dad, and then he turned right around and went back to whatever he was doing. It's just like, <laughs> but for me, it's like the world stopped in that moment. That was a huge moment for me in our, in our relationship. And, and the only reason that was a huge moment is because there were all those years where it wasn't happening. And I, and I, I loved him and I invested in him. And we did everything we knew to do to continue to be in his world and to draw him out. And there was a harvest moment when he called me dad because of that. I wonder how long the Heavenly Father waited for me to call him dad. I wonder how long our Heavenly Father waited for you, some of you, to call him dad. Maybe he's still waiting. I wonder how long God waits. <laughs> There's a story in Luke 15 Jesus tells about how when, when one person, when even just one sinner repents and puts their faith and their trust in Jesus, all of heaven erupts in this huge celebration. Do you know why that happens? Because all of heaven has been waiting for that person to do that. We only celebrate things that we have waited for and we've invested in. Those are harvest moments for heaven. And so... The question, uh, and as the band kind of prepares to come back up, the question I want to ask us, and I think is really for us today, where in your life have you stopped scattering seed? Where in your life have you backed off, scaled it down, gotten discouraged, lost faith, began to doubt, began to question, where in your life have you stopped scattering seed? God doesn't measure us based on harvest. He measures us based on whether we keep scattering seed. Your best seasons, no one will ever see. The moments where your heavenly father is the most proud of you, the rest of the world won't celebrate. 
we'll celebrate those harvest moments. And we'll continue to. I mean, that's just who we are as a church. But our best seasons, nobody ever gets to see. Um, when I began processing this message, I had no idea I was going to be saying these words uh, the Sunday after we just announced um, Brendan's transition. And hopefully most of you in this room have heard that by now. Or maybe if you haven't, Brendan um, is getting married. And just Brendan, I just want to say in front of everybody, just for the last four years, the investment you've made here and the way you've served has just been so incredible. And I just love you and uh, love the way you've served. And as God is moving Brendan onto the next stage of his life and transitioning, um, I wonder if this message is the perfect message even just for today because uh, there might be a tendency to kind of look, even in a moment like this in a transition, and say, man, is God still at work? Is he still love us? Is he still with us? Because it's easy to get, you know, attached to an era or a season. And I'm here to say today, Center Church, don't stop scattering seed. Don't despise the small things, the moments in obscurity that nobody else sees. Be the church in this community. Be all in for who Jesus has called us to be in this community, in this world. We don't control the soil. We don't control how people hear the gospel message. We don't control the results, the harvest moments, the fruit. That's God's job. That's God's work. All we're called to do is continue to be faithful in scattering seed. Continue to be faithful in that. I think that's what God wants for each one of us today. Where in your life have you stopped scattering seeds? I honestly believe our best seasons as a church, nobody will ever get to see. Would you bow in prayer with me?